I grew up in a Christian and Missionary Alliance church, and um, I would hear stories about the Bolim Valley as a young kid. In fact, my wife just leaned over to me and she said, I'm pretty sure these are some of the stories I heard in my Alliance church that she grew up in that was separate, of course, from mine. We're going to begin a new series today that comes out of 1 John, the letter that the apostle wrote. And he wrote this letter to encourage Christians, to encourage Christians to stay the course, encourage Christians not to be deceived, encourage Christians to have affirmation concerning their salvation. The apostle John, as we know, uh, was right at the core of Jesus' ministry. And at the core of Jesus' ministry on Resurrection Sunday, like we looked at last week, he was with Peter, and he was the one uh, that actually looked into the tomb, saw the linen wrappings lying there in a wrapped cocoon kind of manner, and he saw and believed. He saw the head covering separated by itself, folded up neatly. And we talked about how that was uh, symbolic of uh, the master saying, I'm not done yet at the dinner table. John took off from there with the other disciples and began to spread the gospel. And what was at the heart of the gospel was the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Over 2,000 years ago, that happened, and still today, that testimony, that witness is going forward. As a pastor, sometimes you think, well, what do I follow up Easter with? You know, I had a great uh, Easter last week, and it was great to be able to uh, uh, celebrate the resurrection of Christ and see many new people, and some of you came back this week, that's great, and for us to be able to launch kids' ministry again after a year last week was special, and it's like, okay, so the euphoric feeling of Easter and then the Sunday after. Well, guess what you do the Sunday after Easter? the Sunday after declaring the resurrection. You continue to declare the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so today, we continue to follow the heart and the life of that Apostle John, who wrote the gospel, which we're very familiar with, but he also wrote three letters to Christians, and then he wrote the book of Revelation, which is a prophetic book, that was revealed to him when he was estranged on an island called Patmos in the South Aegean Sea. And in this letter of 1 John, we're going to see different themes that sort of circle around and around. The Apostle Paul had a lot of, a, he would move from one uh, kind of thought to the next thought and sort of build on it. Sometimes he would go on a tangent, he would come back to it, but he was very deep in his theology and his understanding of uh, the big picture. Paul wrote to the church predominantly John wrote predominantly to the family, to that body of Christ in the warmer feeling. And John wasn't always one who would build sequentially on something. He sort of had uh, more of an artistic way of writing, a more commoner kind of way of writing. And, and he would grab a hold of a subject, and then he would sort of spin around it 
and then move on to another one and spin around it. And then he would spin around another subject. And then he would come back to the first one and circle it again and then circle another one. And there's these themes that are going to come from this book of 1 John that are centered on this truth of the light and the life of Jesus Christ and what that means for us as Christ followers or if you're a seeker this morning and you don't fully understand what it's like to have a relationship with God or maybe what that would mean for you to be a a Christ follower, he's going to endear you to the light in the life of the Lord Jesus Christ and what that means for us as believers. One of the first verses that uh, is written in his epistle, his letter to the Christians in 1 John is this, 1 John 1, 5, this is the message we have heard from him and declare to you. God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. And so where I'd like to park just briefly today in an introductory kind of capacity to this series is on the subject of pushing back the darkness. What happens to you when you just um, witnessed and saw a historical event that happened with Christian Missionary Alliance missionaries back in 1954 when they went in to an unreached people group in the middle of an island in Indonesia, people who uh, had no modern conveniences, of course, but had never even heard the name of Jesus, individuals, a tribe, a a group of people, the Donny people who had no um, uh, real understanding of of how to grab a hold of some of the truth that maybe had been revealed in the world, and in that sense was living in darkness. In fact, it's believed that the Donny people, they were cannibalistic in some of their history past. The Donnie people, they they had some very harsh kind of cultural customs. I won't go into many of them, but one of them was if a loved one died, a relative, someone dear, the women would have to have their finger chopped off. And so the women in the village would have nubs representing the lives of loved ones that they cared for who'd passed away. They were very gifted in what they did and being able to agriculturally do what they did. Nothing wrong in one sense with all the various beautiful cultures that God creates around the world. But there was darkness as it related to understanding truth. And we identify with uh, a missions video like that with the Alliance, which, by the way, if you don't know, we're associated with this larger network of churches literally around the world, over 6 million people, 22,000 churches, 80-some different countries organized in, in various ways to go into unreached people group areas to be able to proclaim the light and the life of the Lord Jesus Christ. I've always been grateful that I grew up Uh, in an Alliance church and have been able to associate with many Alliance missionaries and to hear their heart. In fact, later this year, I'm going to be able to, in the first week of June, be able to attend a general council meeting in Nashville, Tennessee, of a lot of Alliance people, and there'll be missionaries there and, and challenges. And it's a much bigger family than just the family called the Awakening Church here in Marietta. 
And so you're a part of a, a pretty cool movement. And maybe if you're sort of new to this church, what's the church like? What's it about? We're just a large family of people, not only in the United States, but around the world, who are passionate about the great commission that Jesus spoke, which was to make disciples of all nations, all people groups. And so we're at it. We're at it. But here's my question when you watch something like that. Does your heart go, oh, that's, that's great that missionaries did that and they went into this dark place and now there's that many uh, individuals following Jesus and churches planted and we're able to help bring them into the light and life of Jesus Christ. Do you think of darkness as places that are foreign, way far away? Or could darkness be in the, all, your own community in which you live? Your own nation in which you live? What do we define as darkness? Does darkness mean that uh, you don't have some of the modern uh, conveniences of life? Or is darkness much more of a, a spiritual, philosophical even emotional kind of aspect that you're living in darkness even though you're amidst a very modern culture. I believe that we are in a shifting environment in the United States where, sadly, there is movement not towards the light, but back to some darkness. Do you ever get yourself in a, a quandary where you're like, well, why can't people see or why isn't there better understanding? And I'm not talking politics. I'm not talking uh, uh, modern entrepreneurial, you know, uh, discovery kind. I'm talking about soulish things. Where is the light in people's lives? I came across a statistic again this week that was very troubling to me, and it wasn't a statistic that was just about the younger generation, what's called the millennials, but I've discovered it's, it's really growing across all tiers generationally. That statistic was that 47%, 47, almost 50% of millennials believed it was wrong to share the faith, their own Christian faith. This is Christian millennials. 47%, that it's wrong to share your Christian faith with those who have other kinds of beliefs. Now, there's various reasons for that. Part of it has to be that, that we're in a, uh, um, a very tedious time culturally where it's like, well, let's not impose anything on other people, what our beliefs are. Uh, the, the big virtue today is just be nice, be nice. Well, if you saw somebody that was blindly walking towards a cliff and you were able to go intercept them and say, stop, should you tell them to stop? Because right behind that whole understanding of thinking that, oh, maybe it's wrong to be able to share our faith is the belief, are people really lost? Are people really in the dark? Do people need the light and life of Jesus Christ? And we're going to find in 1 John that the answer to that is yes, they do. Yes, they do. This is the message, John said, that we have heard from him, Jesus, and we declare to you, God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. And so the Sunday after Easter, we're still at it. Proclaiming, declaring, 
the gospel of light in the Lord Jesus Christ. You, this week, the week after the week of Easter, guess what you get to do if you're a follower of Jesus Christ? Continue to proclaim that God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. And the blinders, the darkness that comes upon us as individuals and in our world is something that you get to address. How do you address it? First John's going to remind us again as we circle around some themes how we address that. We address that foremostly by centering on the one who is the way, the truth, and the life, Jesus Christ. I'm um, always mindful that we are an extension of those disciples. What a beautiful story of Jesus appearing to Mary in the garden after he was raised from the dead. What an incredible story of Peter and, and John as they discovered it, and then they went to tell the others. The story of uh, Jesus appearing to those who were on the road to Emmaus and breaking bread with them, and their lives were enlightened. Eyes were enlightened about, oh, this was Jesus who was with us. He was resurrected. The story of doubting Thomas saying, I'm not, I'm not in, man. I don't believe Jesus rose from the dead. I need to see the nail prints and, and the spear kind of thing. And Jesus shows up and he says, hey, touch here. You know, stop doubting and believe. We are a continuation of that eyewitness through history. It was through the Gospel of John. In fact, if you're to look at the Gospel of John, um, which the apostle John wrote, he described at the end of his gospel these words where he says, Jesus performed in chapter 20, verse 30, many other signs in the presence of disciples which were not recorded in this book, but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have a boring life, a wretched life, a legalistic, just fill in the blank life, do your job. No. You may have full, abundant life in his name. And then the last verse of his gospel Jesus did many other things as well. If every one of them were written down, I suppose that even the whole world would not have room for the books that would be written. To which I said, John, why don't you write another gospel and another gospel? I want to know all of them. We are in a continuation of the witnesses from the resurrection that in Jesus Christ there is light and there is life. And we are pushing back the darkness in our world, locally, and called to do it even globally, as is evidenced by our larger Alliance family. But where did the whole idea of God is light and life come from for John to pin it? It came from Jesus himself. He said this in his gospel at the beginning. In him was life, and that life was the light of mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John, not John the Apostle, but John the Baptist, he records, and he came as a witness to testify about that light just like you and I are called to testify it, so that through him all might believe. 
He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives life to every man, everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, and the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. But, but, to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, or the husband's will, but born of God. The apostle John was passionate. He was from the Galilean area, and they always said, you know, sort of the Galilean people had an edge to them. We see that edge emerge sometime. Remember recently we talked about how uh, John and James sort of, uh, in our follow series, sort of... uh, had the mother go ask Jesus, talk to, hey, could we sit at the left and the right of you in the kingdom of God that comes? A very brazen request, sort of arrogant, rather cocky. Hey, when you're the king, man, can we sit at the right and the left? So he was a, we, he was a hard-running kind of man that God called. Sons of Zebedee, Lightning. They had some uh, nicknames that described the edge that they have, but yet you saw John transformed in his life as he began to believe in Jesus as the one who was the way, the truth, and the life. And John was transformed from this edgy, harder kind of person into someone who was very endearing and compassionate. And John was one of those disciples that uh, you would uh, uh, probably enjoy just sitting down and having a, a family conversation with. But part of the reason was because of the work that was done in his life because he received Christ as the Savior and the leader of his life. And then he exhorts all that this is what we're to do. Where did he get the light and life idea from? It was from Jesus, listening to Jesus speak. In John 8, 8 verse 12, you find these words from Jesus. I am. I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. That's a pretty bold statement. Jesus is saying in this statement that he'll light up everybody. He'll light up the whole world. You think your world's dark? You think your workplace is dark? You think your family situation and relationships are pretty dark and desperate right now? I am the light, and if I come into those situations, into those environments, into those lives that are represented in those circles, I will bring the light of life. So John would sit and he would hear these kinds of things, and he and would try to contemplate this, and he would think through it, and he says, yeah, that's true. You know, John, he, uh, in John's writings, uh, they're a little bit different in Paul's writings in the sense of some of their dualism. The Apostle Paul would talk about this age and then the age to come. The Apostle John would talk about the world above and the world below. And that the world below is a dark world, but the world above has light. And so he's always trying to compare and enlighten these things. And part of that is because this is what he heard through his inner ear from Jesus speaking himself. John chapter 12, verse 35, Jesus says this. He told them, you are going to have the light just a little while longer. 
He's getting them ready for an understanding of what's in the future for him with his death, his resurrection, and then ultimately his ascension, his spirit coming back. Walk while you have the light before darkness overtakes you. Whoever walks in the dark does not know where they are going. You ever found that to be true in your own life? Some of you have little kids. You walk into the room and it's dark at night. What happens? You crunch on Legos. Your feet get hit by something else. You're walking around blindly. Where am I at in this, right? In my house, our dog is pitch black dark. And uh, if there's no lights on at night and I'm going to go out to the refrigerator or whatever, I'm like, okay, I can't see. Where's Maggie at? Oh, oh I'm sorry, girl. Because you don't know where you're going when you're in the dark. Have you ever had anybody tell you recently, you don't know what you're doing? You don't know where you're going? Where's your head space at? They're sort of accusing you of being in the dark. Now, they may rightly or arrogantly think that they're in the light and they can tell you how you need to go. But in the mind of Christ... He was mindful that people are in the dark until the light, his light, comes within. The dark, those who walk and stumble around in it, maybe you're there today. They do not know where they are going. Believe in the light while you have the light so that you may become children of light. He also said then in Matthew 5, 14, you are the light of the world. What? What? I thought you were the light, Jesus. He turns it around and he begins to speak to them that you are the light of the world. And how are they the light of the world? If they have his light, his life living within them, then they get to shine light on a dark world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. Now, he spoke this. This was his Sermon on the Mount. It's recorded there in Matthew 5. And he's probably on the north side of the Sea of Galilee. And he's looking around maybe the, the edge of the Sea of Galilee over towards Tiberias, which is on the western side. And it has some lights flickering. And he says, see, a city on a hill, it cannot be hidden. Neither you do you take a lamp and put it underneath a bowl. Any of you remember that kid's song about this little light of mine? I'm going to let it shine. Let me see hands. I just want to see hands. Well, good. There's some church folks here. I don't even know if they do that in our children's ministry. Hide it under a bushel. No, right? <laughs> Bush. Well, yes. A basket whatever you might think of it as. Jesus says, don't do that. You take the light that's in you and you set it on display for everyone to see. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. So here we have the Apostle John writing a letter, articulating to a group of Christians most likely those who are in the Asia Minor area, modern-day Turkey. And he was exhorting them about the light and the life of Jesus Christ. But this was not something new for him, and hopefully it wasn't something too new for the others. But John was most likely writing this letter when he was very 
old. You ever wonder what happened? There you are, the resurrection. You know, they're all excited. The word begins to go out, and, and God even starts to use uh, someone like uh, Saul, who he changed to Paul, and Paul did the missionary journeys, and they're given witness. And, and what happened in that first century? Well, the gospel spread. The light and life began uh, to make a difference culturally in the world, but also people would come uh, to know Jesus, and, and the Christian church, the followers of Jesus, grew immensely in all kinds of pockets and places. But here's John writing a letter. Probably somewhere between 85 and 95 A.D. Now, there's an earlier thinking that maybe it could have been around 60 or 70 A.D. But John most likely wrote this letter after he was exiled on the island of Patmos, and he had this vision to write the revelation. He was maybe released from his confinement on that island because of his age, possibly went back to Ephesus, which was a central hub of a lot of the church areas in Asia Minor, modern-day Turkey. And it's believed that John probably died when he was 95, 98 years old, lived to an old age. We don't know fully how he died, but it's not believed that he was necessarily martyred. There was one idea that he was thrown in a, a pot of, uh, of boiling, uh, uh, boiling uh, liquid kind of thing, but then he was saved and rescued out of that. He'd been persecuted. He'd been, a, you know, abandoned on the island of Patmos. Here he is in his older ages, and he's writing a letter, and he's concerned because the Christians in the circle that he was giving instructions to were starting to live in darkness again after living in the light. You see, there was no uh, uh, Bible, as we have it in our form, to hand out and give to everybody. Uh, at that time, necessarily, there was uh, teachings and, and uh, some of the letters being passed around. But he was concerned about the darkness that was encroaching again on the Christians, just like you saw at the end of uh, the story with the Donnie people, that modern day is that, yeah, a lot of things have changed, a lot of cool churches going, and I remember talking to one uh, uh, person who was a, ma uh, a uh, mission aviation pilot who said, you know, it was so incredible that, you know, in the first landing into the Balim Valley, that was just all this beautiful gardens and greenery and, and, and agricultural kind of things that were being done. But you saw um, no uh, roofs that had these shiny tops to them. And he said, because the shiny tops came later, and when you, I would fly in later, you would see all these shiny top roofs, and the shiny top roofs were where churches had been started and churches were meeting. And so there was this powerful movement, but then it said right there at the end that in modern days, some of the spirit worship is coming back strong. And so how do we evangelize and continue to work with it? Uh, the Apostle Paul had some of the same problem. What's going on with you guys? So he starts to write this letter. He starts writing this letter. And one of the things he was up against was possibly something called Gnosticism, which Gnosticism was, hey, knowledge is everything kind of thing, and that they denied that Jesus Christ had a physical body. Like after his baptism, he sort of just hovered on top of the ground an inch or so, right? And you could sort of put your hand through him. That he really wasn't 
physical, because physical, material things were seen as bad, but uh, Gnosticism, gnosis is the word, is for knowledge, and the knowledge and the spiritual things are what's most important. Material things, bad, spiritual, intellectual, mindful things, good, and so they were denying the deity, they're not only denying, I mean, they weren't denying the deity Christ issues, they were denying the incarnation of Jesus, that the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And so he's writing this, and this is how he starts out this letter then in the latter part of the first century to Christians who had been in the light, but their culture was going dark. Do you think First John might relate to us in these weeks? Not just culturally, but in our own personal lives? And so this is how he starts his letter to those Christians in that area as I mentioned, probably in the Asia Minor area. 1 John 1, 1, that which was from the beginning. If you look at his gospel, in the gospel of John, it says, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being by him, and apart from him, nothing came into being that has come into being. Boom! That's how he starts off his gospel. Decades later in his life, he's pinning Where's his heart at? The same. Trying to encourage, strengthen the church, remind them that in the beginning, maybe he's got the Gnostics in mind, maybe some Lycolatians, some other kinds of people that were corrupt in the day, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at with our hands and have touched this we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life, it appeared. We have seen it and testify to it. And we proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and has appeared to us. Now you take those two verses, one and two, what are you finding? All those highlights, heard, seen, looked, touched, right? seen, testify, proclaim, appeared. What's he getting at? He's getting at this reality of this is not make-believe. God became a human being. And I, with others, were eyewitnesses. We sat with him. We ate with him. We touched him. We saw what he did. This is not make-believe. This Jesus performed miracles. He raised people from the dead. And then he himself raised himself from the dead. We are witnesses to this. And he was just still trying to convince people, even though he was in his later years. Are you worried about sharing your faith with other people? See, I get anxious about that. Like, will they accept me? Will I say the right words? What if they ask questions I don't know anything about? Now, I can get anxious. I can I get concerned. I can make it maybe awkward to share my faith. I, I, it's hard for me to comprehend that statistic I just told you that I would think it's a wrong. I've never thought it's wrong to share your faith. But that's culturally what's happening in the darkening world in which we live. But friends, you don't have to convince anybody about your faith. You don't have to say, live in the light and life of Jesus or else. 
what they were in the New Testament and what John continued to do later in his life was just be a witness to the life. A witness to the light. We've seen, we've heard, we've testified, we've proclaimed. He appeared to us, tangible. We can touch it. And you're like, okay, Carrie, I appreciate that this morning, but I'm not John, and I didn't see it. Fair enough. So what do you witness to? You witness to what God has done in your own personal life. The light and life Jesus has brought to you. You're not imposing on others someone to, you got to believe this. You're just being a witness. And being a witness is articulating what the light and the life of Jesus Christ has done and worked in your life. Even if you're in a low season, some difficult days in your life, some of the most powerful witness I have to other people is in the darkest days of my life. Jesus met me there. Jesus met me there and he sustained me there. And he regenerated and transformed my heart there. I'm not imposing on you my belief. I'm just giving you a witness that he was the light and the life. And he's touched me. I've known him to be true. Yeah, I can say I've studied the scriptures historically and other people like John, and I believe it to be true, the resurrection and all that we talked about. We talked about them, you know, the, the grave clothes last week and how that gave a, a, a physical, tangible witness to the resurrection. You can go down those paths, but first, if you're going to share the light and the life of Jesus Christ, you do exactly what John did. He was doing it his whole life. He was giving witness to Jesus and that Jesus was who he said he was. In the beginning, God, he had the big picture in mind. Verse 3, we proclaim to you what we have seen and heard, so that you may also have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and his Son, Jesus Christ. We're going to get into this more in the coming weeks. That's from a Greek word, um, <clears throat> koinonia. Maybe you've heard that term before. It has to do with affinity, a grouping, fellowship, sort of a, my kids tell me, Dad, don't use the word fellowship. That's like an old church term, you know? And sometimes we reference community or something like that. But the friendships, there was a bonding together of the people who had the light and the life of Jesus Christ. But that fellowship is primarily because we have in common the Father and life in the Son. We write this to make our joy, all of our joy, complete. They were in a dark place. They were being hounded with false teaching. John was extremely concerned about that generation being deceived. He had to go back and remind them again that Jesus was who he was and be a witness to that fact. But what he's looking forward to and exhorting the Christians then and would exhort us today if John was to come here and stand on stage was I'm writing this letter to you so your joy may be full. You see, you come off Easter and you're elated, right? Yeah, God raised Jesus from the dead and, and there's life and there's hope. But then Monday hits and smack, you got that same financial problem, that same health problem, that same family issue going on, the same challenges, and you start to lose your joy. John says, don't lose your joy. 
Stay focused on the light and the life of Jesus Christ and who He is. And you walk from day to day through all the years that He walked focused on the reality, the presence, and the witness of Jesus so that all of our joy would be made full. And then verse 5, which we mentioned up front, this is the message we have heard from Him. And declare to you, God is light, and in Him there is no darkness at all. Three ways that darkness impacts us. There's darkness within me. Did you hear that story this week, sad story about a California mother, two preschoolers and a baby, and she stabbed and killed them all. You're like, oh my gosh, how dark must her life have been to have done that? That so goes totally against the nature of a mother. There's darkness within But it's not just sometimes the darkness of something horrendous such as that. It may be the darkness that's within us because of indifference, laziness in our own spiritual pursuit. There's darkness that can come within each of our life. Maybe it's from wayward living. Maybe it's some dependence issue that you have in your life. There's darkness within the lives of other people, but there begins with understanding there's darkness within me. And then there is darkness with others. Those that are around, if you're frustrated with somebody who's not doing what you think they should do or you're really on edge with them, ask yourself, I wonder if they're living in the light. I wonder what darkness has come on them. You see, when we're in relationship with others, sometimes we can get antsy, we can get sort of short-tempered, but we have to contextualize people and go, oh, I understand. Maybe there's something going on there. I do not know. And that darkness is there. And then there is darkness in my world. You may all get all antsy and excited about different kinds of things you're hearing or transition changes being made, and not only in our world, but around the uh, world. Friends, don't just get mad. See it as darkness. Darkness. The world above, the world below. This world has an adversary. We mentioned last week that the power of the resurrection assures us that our death penalty of sin has been paid, that Satan has been defeated, that we have a future resurrection of our own life, and that our hungers can be met in Christ. Well, friends, that whole understanding of Satan being defeated, it's true, but he's not yet eliminated. And he will work through all kinds of back channels to bring cultures, nations, Cities, communities, homes, down. So there's darkness in our world. Now this isn't a heavy message to say, oh, there's darkness, let's push back the darkness. It's us turning then to having a fresh discovery of the light and how we can bring that light and life into other people's lives, beginning with our own darkness. John 8, 12, I am the light of the world, Jesus said. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Do you follow Jesus Christ, the light of life? Maybe you're just checking him out. If so, that's fine. Be open to it. But I'm telling you, your darkness in your interior part will not dissipate until the light of the world comes to shine within and live within. Believe in the light while you'll have the light. 
so that you may become children of the light. John 12, 36, and then John 1, 12. Yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. So the invitation stands again today as it stood last week. If you've never invited Christ to come into your life as the light in life, you too can turn your life over to him and receive him to live within. I want to close by sharing a story of another land far away, and that's the story of Watchman Nee. Watchman Nee is somebody that I read after when I was younger. In fact, it was interesting. I pulled open a the uh, vanity beside um, one of our bedrooms last night where I was studying, and there was a book by Watchman Nee. I'd already decided I was going to share on this. Changed into his likeness. He's also written a book called The Normal Christian Life. These are some of the words of Watchman Nee who planted all kinds of churches in China, and around his area and was so well known in some of the modern missions movement. His mom went to some revival meetings when uh, she was of age and trying to take care of him when he was 17. And she came back from those uh, meetings and she uh, apologized to him because she had been too uh, harsh and unjust in some of her, his punishment, uh, uh, some punishment that she had given him. He was so dumbfounded that his mom apologized and said that she had given unjust punishment that he had to check out the meetings. And so he went to the the Christian meeting that night in the local place. And it says this, on the evening of the 28th of April, 1920. So we're talking what? 101 years ago comes this story. I was alone in my room after he had gone to those meetings. And he came back by himself. And I was struggling to decide whether or not to believe in the Lord. At first I was reluctant, but as I tried to pray, I saw the magnitude of my sins and the reality and the effectiveness of Jesus as the Savior. As I visualized the Lord's hands stretched out on the cross, they seemed to be welcoming me. And the Lord was saying, I am waiting here to receive you. Realizing the effectiveness of Christ's blood in the cleansing my sin and being overwhelmed by such love, I accepted him there. Previously, I had laughed at people who had accepted Jesus. But that evening, the experience became real for me. And I wept and confessed my sins, seeking the Lord's forgiveness. Listen to this. As I made my first prayer, I knew joy and peace such as I had never known before. Light, light seemed to flood the room. And I said to the Lord, O Lord, you have indeed been gracious to me. A simple testimony of a young teenager in China who the light of life penetrated his interior darkness and lit him up with peace and joy to live for him. And he did live for him. He took initiative. It says at his college, he says this, while he was a student, and he wanted to speak to his classmates about the salvation experience. He recounted, immediately I started putting right the matters that were hindering my effectiveness, and also made a list of 70 friends to pray for daily. 
Some days I would pray for them every hour, even in class. When the opportunity came, I would try to persuade them to believe in the Lord Jesus. With the Lord's grace, I continued to pray daily. And after several months, all but one of the 70 persons were saved and came into the light of the Lord Jesus Christ. Isn't that a powerful testimony of a young man? Because he was a witness, just like John was through all the years of his life. Tragically, Watchman Nee's life was cut short. It was this last week, April 9th. What was that? Thursday? Friday? In 1952, Watchman Nee was arrested and charged as a lawless capitalist. The communist media informed the world of the, quote, crimes of Watchman Nee, unquote citing many hundreds of alleged crimes and vices. Among the crimes, here was one, he envisioned evangelizing all of China in the 1930s. He relentlessly encouraged Shanghai Christians to share their faith. His words were hard to ignore because, quote, you are not witnessing. Many have not heard the gospel. They will be eternally separated from God. What a consequence of our apathy. This is my challenge to you. Witness to at least one person a day. Witness to whomever you meet. It is time for us to put feet to our faith. He was not one of those counted among who thought it was wrong to share the faith. Nee received a 15-year sentence but was not released at the end of his term. His days were divided into three eight-hour segments, hard labor, quote-unquote re-education, and then solitary confinement. During his first 20 years in prison, he was allowed no communication, so he knew nothing of what had happened to his wife. During the 20th year in prison, he became sick, and his captors allowed him limited communication. He found out that his wife, Charity, had also been arrested and had died years earlier. On June 1st of 1972, Nee also died in prison after spending 20 years in chains for the gospel of Jesus Christ. I read something like that like I read this week, and I just say, I'm done. Forget any complaining I have. Holy Spirit, fill me anew to be a witness about the light that changes life and brings joy, hope, and peace, and eternal living to others. Are you in? That's what we do on the other side of Easter. We continue to be a witness to the light and the life. Come up with your list of 70 people to pray for. I don't know that I would have that many. What's that mean to me? Maybe I need to get closer to some other people that don't know Jesus. It begins by letting the light shine in your own darkness. Allowing that light to be shared with others in a community of encouragement. And then going to a lost world. John left. Peter left. James left. You go on down the list. Those disciples became witnesses into the othermost parts of the world. That's why you and I sit in a church today. is because someone else was faithful to witness to the light. May we be the same in these weeks moving forward. Now that the COVID journey seems to be slowing down, we can regather, we can reconnect. May we be faithful to the mission. And maybe that mission's at home. Maybe that mission is God's breaking on your heart to be a missionary 
to somewhere unknown. Will you pray with me? Lord, I ask in the holiness of this moment that your spirit would seal the word that you wanted spoken today. If it was through some of the words I shared from John's epistle, then so be it. Maybe it's a whole different world, but word. But Lord Jesus, may your spirit seal that voice of instruction in the hearts and lives of each of us. May we not waste our years. And Lord, even if our day would land us in a prison, may we serve your purposes there. Lord, there is a lost world in darkness that needs to be reached. May you come upon us as individuals, as a local community, as a global movement. May we be true to the mission to proclaim the light and life of the gospel of hope of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Thanks for this morning. So encouraged by your attentiveness and dear your heart to God's word. Take the opportunity to read the epistle of 1 John if you want. Take the opportunity to greet some others today on your way out. Glad that you are here. If you have a prayer need and you would like to be prayed for, or maybe you have darkness in your life and you'd like to receive the Lord Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, I want to encourage you to come over to the prayer area over here. There's some prayer workers that would be more than glad to pray with you about your particular need or pray with you to receive Jesus Christ as your light and life today. God bless. See you next week.